Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Everybody in Ganada and Gaira and Armadale, you can all take, oh, you already have, take your seats. Great to be with you in church this morning, wherever you're watching from and uh, here, of course, in Tamworth. Thank you so much to your pastors for having me. It's my first time ever in Tamworth, and I like Tamworth. You're all looking at me like, well, as if you wouldn't. I really like your church too, by the way. I I like the fact that your church is what I would say is a great combination of the best of the city and the best of the country. The best of the country and that already uh, I've found people to be so friendly here. You are far friendlier than people in Sydney. Just a lot nicer and better looking and and by the looks of it, more intelligent as well. and uh, so I, I just really enjoy the hospitality of Tamworth already. And, uh, but your church just is sharp and smart. And I would totally come to this church if I lived in Tamworth. In fact, I might just make the five-hour drive from Sydney every Sunday. It's that, well, I don't have to. I'll just watch online. It's that good. So thank you so much to your pastors for having me. I've really looked forward to, to being with you. And, uh, and thank you so much for your hospitality as well. I really have appreciated. We've only got a small amount of time. Uh, Pastor Darren said to me, I've got to be done by one. So I, I heard about a preacher who was incredibly long-winded. Famously, his sermons would drone on and on and on for what seemed like forever, much to the dismay of his congregation, though they were always too polite to say anything. Well, one particular Sunday, he'd been preaching for about two and a half hours and was still on his introductory remarks. When finally a young man sitting in the front row could stand it no more, he just got up and walked out. Well, the preacher seeing this was irate. And so he determined, I'm going to find this man and and, and ask him, what was so important that you would walk out in the middle of my sermon? And so he did. And the young man shrugged his shoulders and said, well, I'm sorry, but I had to get a haircut. Well, that just made the the preacher furious. He said, why couldn't you have got a a haircut before I started preaching? He said, well, I didn't need one then. (laughs) So we will be done on time. And uh, so you'll get your lunch. But thank you so much for having me. And uh, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to help us? Because by now you've met me, you know, we need the Lord's help. (laughs) Father, I pray for every person here, whether it's our first time in church or whether we've been here many, many times. I just thank you that each of us, all from different places, all facing different challenges, and yet all greatly loved. And so I ask today, no matter who we are, where we've been, or what we've done, that because of today, we would go home just understanding a little more your great love for us and be confident and secure in your plan and purpose for us, no matter what we're challenging, no matter what we're facing tomorrow. I just thank you that we can face it with joy and with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, not because of anything in us, but because of what is in you. And I ask that in the wonderful name of Jesus and everyone in Gunnedah said, I could hear them here. It was amazing. (laughs) Incredible. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 4 tells the story of God's encounter with Abraham. Notice I didn't say Abraham's encounter with God, because how many of you know we don't really encounter God, he encounters us. Have you ever heard someone say, I remember when I found God? No, you never found God. Stop making it all about yourself. 
We didn't find God, he found us. It would be impossible for us to find God. How does the finite ever discover the infinite? That's why God had to take on flesh and blood and become like us. How else could we ever understand him except that he explained himself in terms that we could understand? I've got two boys, they're adopted from Ethiopia. People often ask, you know, so when you adopted your boys, did you have to go to Africa to get them? Oh, I say, are you kidding? Do you know how far away Africa is? Do you know the cost of airfares? Of course we didn't go to Africa to get them. I remember we arrived home one afternoon and, and as we pulled up into the driveway, I saw a box on the front doorstep and I thought, and she's been shopping online again. And, uh, and so I opened the box and there were these two African babies. Of course we went to Africa to get them. How else would they ever be part of our family except that we went to get them? They were never going to get to us. In like fashion, how else could we be part of the family of God except that God made the initiative, He made the effort, He did the journey, and it wasn't Australia to Africa, it was heaven to earth, and God took on human flesh. It's called the incarnation. That's why Christmas is so significant. It's the condescension of God to become like us so that we could understand him. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, God encounters Abraham and God selects Abram out of all the people on earth. And he says, I want you to get out of here. By the way, this explains all the trouble in the Middle East. Have you ever thought, I would become religious for no other reason than how else to explain the hatred of the Jews. I mean, think about it. Name one other people group on the face of the earth who through all time and in all cultures are just hated. It's, it's unnatural. It's, it's, it's irrational. How do you explain the hatred of the Jews through thousands of years except that the Bible is true? Imagine if the Bible was true. Imagine if God said, I want to demonstrate my nature to people and so I'm going to become a person. Well, if God was going to become a person, he'd have to choose a group of people to be born into. He'd have to choose a family. And so imagine the Bible is true. Imagine God chose a family. He chose Abraham, who becomes the father of the the Jewish nation or, or of Israel. And God says, I'm going to reveal myself through your family. If God is true, which means there would also be a devil, wouldn't you imagine that from that moment it would be war? that the enemy would do everything he can to destroy those people through whom God is demonstrating himself. When you realise that, all of a sudden, okay, it makes sense now. I understand why the hatred of the Jews is absolutely irrational and why anti-Semitism is with us through all of history and it never, ever ends because while ever there's a devil, that anti-Semitism will always be present because the devil wants to do everything he can to stop people discovering the nature of God. Nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought that was interesting. In Armadale, are you paying attention? Good. And so Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4 says, God said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house and go to a land I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, it's easy to read that scripture and miss the incredible step of faith that Abraham took. The Bible says Abraham had lived in Haran 75 
years. I'm not sure how long you've lived at your address. Uh, I lived at 6 Browning Street, Townsville for eight years. And even just after eight years of longevity, you have a level of familiarity. Eight years living at the same address, I knew that town pretty well. When I went for a coffee, out of all the coffee shops in Townsville, I had my coffee shop. And at my coffee shop, I had my table. And at my table, I had my preferred menu items such that I went there and I didn't even bother ordering. I just sat down, looked at the waitress, and she bought me my food. I like that. Out of all the shopping centres in Townsville, there were three, which means two more than in Tamworth, and uh, I I had my preferred shopping centre. When I went for my haircut, out of all the barbers, I had my hairdresser. I I just knew that place like the back of my hand. Well, can you imagine Abram having lived in Haran 75 years? I mean, he knew that place inside out. Abram can't remember the last time he needed to use Google Maps. And God says, "I, I want you to leave. Well, that would have been quite disconcerting. And, and so Abraham asks the obvious question, well, well okay, but, but to where? To which God replies, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. Now, how many of you know it's one thing for Abram to say yes to this, but he's got to go home and explain it to Mrs. Abraham. And how many of you know that's difficult? Because for women, longevity is not just about familiarity, it's about sentimentality. And so I can imagine he would have been a little nervous going home and he walks into the kitchen and uh, she says, honey, how was your day? He says, it was good. Can we talk? And and every woman knows when he needs to talk, it's never good because he never needs to talk. You're dying for him to talk and suddenly he wants to talk. What's wrong? And so I can imagine them sitting down and uh, and Abraham says, well, you know, um, honey, um, God's been speaking to me. She rolls her eyes and thinks, great, last time God spoke to you, he told you to sacrifice one of our kids. Um, and Abraham says, no, no, that, that's later. Um, but right now, God, God spoke to me. He, he said, we've got to leave. We've got to move. I can imagine Sarah folding her arms, looking at him cynically and thinking, what do you mean move? We, we've finally got the place the way we wanted it. I've finally got curtains that match the furniture. You finally got around to cleaning the garage and now we're going to Where? And Abraham shifts nervously in his seat, looks at the carpet and says, here's the thing, Um, God said he'll tell us where we're going when we get there. How many of you know that's entirely unsatisfactory to Sarah? I mean, she's got a million questions. She wants to know how far are we going? He doesn't know. Do we know anyone where we're going? He's unsure. Will we speak the language? He hasn't the faintest idea. She wants to know, do we pack light or pack heavy? Will we ever return? Is the climate temperate, cold or warm? Uh, is, is the food to our liking? Do, 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 do they speak the language? Do, they, do, do, does, do we know anyone? Do we, and every question she I used to think when I became a Christian, everything would become sure. These days, I'm less sure than ever. I I honestly thought if I give my life to Jesus, everything in life will start to become certain. And what I've found is that most things are very uncertain. Let me put it for you this way. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. Listen to it. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Sounds like a lot of you. Let me explain for you how this works in our lives. And, and for the purpose of the illustration, I'm going to divide you into two parts because most of you look like you're bipolar. And so uh, let's just divide you into two. And let's, for the sake of the illustration, say that uh, there's a spiritual dimension to your life. Would you agree with that? 
doesn't matter if you don't agree, I'm preaching. And, uh, and there's a natural dimension to your life. We, we know that's true. Um, at your funeral, natural. Yeah, um, they'll say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And uh, so it's true that uh, we came from the dust. But how many of you know we are, we are God-breathed dust? Winston Churchill said, all men are worms. I just happen to believe I am a glowworm. And uh, so um, we identify with the beasts in our body. But if we identify not with God in our spirit, we are wretched and miserable creatures. Indeed, Francis Bacon. So, so there's a, a duality to us. We are natural beings, but, but made in the image and likeness of God. That make, makes us unique in all of creation. Uh, we are not like Peter, P-E-T-A, uh, that uh, act on behalf of animals. We are not simply more evolved animals. We are fundamentally different uh, we, we share in common with the animals made from the dust, but what we have that they don't is the spark, the nature of God himself that makes us different. Now, as human beings, we are insatiably curious, aren't we? It begins early. I mean, you, you know, when you have kids, you just can't wait for them to talk and walk, and, and then they start to talk and walk. You just want them to sit down and shut up. But, um, but, but about the age of three or four, they, they start saying, but Why? 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 And that never ends. For the rest of our lives, we're asking questions. And so the questions we ask, well, here's one question. The question of who am I? The question of identity. Now, how many of you know the question of identity, that's a, that's a spiritual question? Did, did you know that? Who am I is a spiritual question. Let me prove it to you. Not once has your dog ever sat in its kennel thinking, I know they call me Rover. But who am I really? Your dog doesn't ask that question, but you do. What about the question of meaning and purpose? That's a, that's a spiritual question. Your dog doesn't chase a car down the road, yapping at the car tires, thinking this is fun, but what am I really supposed to be doing with my life? We ask that question because we're spiritual creatures. That's a spiritual Question: the, the question of life after death, that's a spiritual question. An animal doesn't worry about its legacy, but you and I worry about what happens. Is there anything behind the veil? And so these are spiritual questions. And before we came to faith in Christ, our answer to these questions was don't know, don't know, don't know. Who am I? Before I came to faith in Christ, I didn't know who I was. I, I knew who my parents expected me to be. I knew who my friends wanted me to be. I knew who the media was trying to mould me into. But, but who was I really? And yeah, I don't know. I'm going to take a gap year when I finish school and go to Europe to try to find myself. And as for purpose and meaning, I don't know, get a higher limit to my credit card, buy a bigger house, get a fast car, have a good weekend. I don't know. And as for life after death, I don't want to think about turning 40. And so my answer to all of these questions was don't know, don't know, don't know. And how many of you know that is entirely unsatisfactory because we are not designed to live our lives with feet firmly planted in midair. I, I, I can't stand not knowing. And so what we do, and we've perfected this in popular Western culture, is we've pretended like the spiritual dimension does not exist. The easiest way to deal with the fact we don't know is to just pretend it doesn't exist. And so we focus entirely on natural things and thank God Hollywood helps us. That's why we have an entertainment industry. We are the first generation in history, or not the first generation, but, but it's relatively recent in human history that we have an entertainment industry. The ancients didn't have an entertainment industry. We've got a whole industry that's worth billions of dollars to keep us occupied. Why do we need to be occupied? Because if I'm not occupied, I'll start to think about existential questions. And I don't know the answer to these things. And it worries me that I don't know. So I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. 
and I'm just going to watch another Hollywood movie and it will anesthetize me against the fact that I really just don't understand any of this. So let's just act like I just don't, I don't want to talk about it. You know, we don't talk about religion, not because it's offensive, but because it's scary because I don't know. And then I focus entirely on things like where am I going to live? How much money am I going to make? What am I going to do this weekend? Who am I going to do it with? And, and over those things, I have a measure of control. Well, well, then I went to a church much like this and I gave my life to Jesus. And suddenly, not immediately, but, but over a short space of time, Jesus started to answer these questions. Who am I? Well, James, you're, you're a child of God made in my image. And, uh, and you're... Because he wanted someone like me. And as I, I uh, explore my interests and my passions, it's like chariots of fire. Do you remember Eric Little, the runner? He says, when I run fast, I feel the smile of God. It's like God made me to run fast. God made you the way you are because God delights when, when you are who you are. And so all of a sudden, I've got purpose and meaning. And, and, and life after death, well, Jesus said to be absent from the body. Paul said it rather is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, I've got to prepare a place for you. And so for the first time in my life, and here's my point, I'm sure of spiritual things. It's a great thing to know. But then something unexpected happened. God began to speak to me. And he'd asked me to do things. Like he'd asked me to give money away. He'd asked me to get involved in a certain ministry. He'd asked me to move. He'd asked me to do Bible college or whatever. And, and that was okay. Like I, I knew God was asking me to do things because I've become a spiritual person. But, but, but then I'd say, well, well, how am I going to pay for that? And God was strangely silent. I said, well, well okay, but... Who's going to go with me? Crickets. Well, but yeah, but what does that look like in five years? God would say nothing. And I found that God is big on command and very light on detail. Oswald Chambers said, To be certain of God is to be uncertain in all our ways. You never know what a day may bring. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. To be certain of God is to be uncertain in all our ways because you just don't know what God's going to ask you to do. And so here's what I've found. The more sure I am of God, the less sure I am of pretty much everything else. Because God starts asking me to take a step of faith, but when God asks you to take a step of faith, He doesn't give you a 10-point plan or a roadmap or a reference on Google Maps. He just says, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. Start. And, and, and Oswald Chambers says, this, this could be... A sigh of sadness, but rather living like this makes the Christian life an adventure. When you're sure of God, you become unsure of pretty much everything else. But it's your certainty of who God is that enables you to live unsure of what tomorrow may bring and yet full of confidence and faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What's that all about? Well, well Jesus is comparing and contrasting natural creatures with spiritual creatures. He says, Foxes, birds, they're natural creatures. He says, A bird makes sure of its nest, a fox makes sure of its hole, but the Son of Man, he's not sure where he's sleeping tonight. In other words, Jesus says, I'll make you a promise. If you follow me, you'll never know what's going to happen. Maybe that's the only promise God really makes us. 
Maybe the only thing you can be sure of if you follow Jesus is that you're never quite sure where you're going to end up. In Matthew chapter 4, it records Jesus calling the disciples to follow him. And many of us would be familiar with this story. Uh, let me read it for you. But, you know, one of the reasons we, we miss so much when we read the Bible is, is we read it and we don't ask questions. And uh, whenever you read the Bible, you should always interrogate the Bible. Always read the Bible to interrogate it. Put it under a spotlight and, and ask questions. Ask, what's weird about this? What's, what's unusual? What, what strikes me as just odd? Well, we'll listen to this and, and see if you can pick what's just a bit weird about it. It says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Well, the first thing that strikes me as odd is, well, insulting, actually, is that Matthew says they were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Does not the phrase, for they were fishermen, strike you as rather redundant? Like, obviously, they were fishermen. That's why they were putting nets into the sea. They clearly weren't accountants. Uh, does Matthew think we're a bit slow on the uptake? No, no, he's trying to make a point. Fishing's not what they did, it's who they were. It's not just that they fished, they were fishermen. If you asked them, what are you doing next week? They'd say fishing. If you said, what, what's your 10-year plan? No, fishing. What do you reckon your kids are going to do when they leave school? Well, they're going to fish. Like I, their father, fished before them and their grandfather before me. They, they were, were fishermen. They had their life diarised, regimented and routined. That They weren't just fishing, they were fishermen. They had everything sorted. They were certain of what was happening. And then into their certainty steps Jesus. And how many of you know when Jesus steps into your diary, everything's going to get messed up? Watch what happens. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. That's weird. Because you and I, with 2,000 years of thought, understand fishers of men. That means they're going to preach the gospel in all the nations. Fishers of men, it's a metaphor, right? It's not literal. It's a metaphor. And so we get it, but they didn't. He just said fishers of men. They've never heard this term before. So if I was them, I would have had some questions. Like, what is a fisher of men? If, if I'm going to become a fisher of men, can I speak to someone else who's done the fisher of men intern program? Is it government accredited? My parents want to know if I enrol in this, is there a job at the end of it? And uh, what are the fees? And is there a prospectus? Is there a website I can visit? Could we have coffee and just talk me through? Is, is there something I can peruse to, to get an understanding of this fishers of men deal? But Jesus is gone. He doesn't wait around to answer a whole lot of questions. He just says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. And he's off. And, and here's the miracle. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Left their they didn't leave their nets. They left their certainty. They left their diary. They, they left their assurance of what tomorrow would bring and next week would bring and next month would bring. And they just went. Which makes me think, what the heck happened? i tell you what happened. In that moment, they became so convinced of who Jesus was, they were willing to be unconvinced about everything else in their lives. They became so sure that this is the Messiah, not just another teaching rabbi, not just another amazing miracle worker, not just another very impressive moral teacher. This is God in human flesh. I'm sure of it. And it was their assurance of who God was that enabled them to live the rest of their lives unsure about what tomorrow would bring without freaking out or having a nervous breakdown. You know, when Jesus called the disciples, really he just called them to sacrifice being sure. And I wonder if you consider the, 
the key moments in your life, if perhaps the key moments in our lives are those moments where we, we give up the need to know everything. I wonder if the, the key pivotal moments in our lives are, are the moments we are prepared to sacrifice certainty because we're so sure Jesus has spoken, we're willing to be unsure about everything else. I mean, think about it. You're never completely sure about anything, are you? I know we pretend we are, but when you got married, you weren't sure. You were pretty sure, but you weren't sure. How could you be sure? There are three billion members of the opposite sex and you'd not dated them all. So, so you couldn't have been totally sure. You were, you were sure enough to take a punt when we adopted our boys. We weren't sure. We really were sure that God had spoken to us, adopt children, not one, two, not from anyone, from Ethiopia. We were sure of that. But when the social worker said, we've got two boys for you to adopt, do you want them? We said, well, maybe. We've got some questions. I mean, they're going to inherit everything we have, right? Um, joke's on them. But, um, uh, you know, what do they look like? We wanted a photo. That was important because we wanted to make sure they were from Africa and not like with two heads from Tasmania. And so we, we wanted to know, and, but they had no photo. We wanted to know, well, well what about their birth mum? Like, was she healthy? Was, was she addicted to alcohol or drugs? And, and that would have an effect on, on these babies. And w- what are we getting? And the answer was, don't know, don't know, don't know. So why did we adopt them? Well, because we were sure God had spoken to us. We were so sure God had spoken to us, we were prepared to ruin our carpet. <laughs> and the fact is that, that, that in hindsight, the defining moments of our lives are when we sacrifice certainty. You, you've got to give up something good in order to experience the best that God has. Now, the companion story to Matthew 4, where the disciples just, they're so sure of Jesus they're willing to be unsure about everything else for the rest of their lives. The companion story is Matthew 19, where it talks about a man. We don't know his name, but his name doesn't really matter because he's just called the rich young ruler. I've always, out of anyone in the Bible, people say, oh, who who do you want to be in the Bible? Jesus, the Apostle Paul. I want to be the rich young ruler. It just, those are adjectives I would like to describe me. Rich, right? I, I mean, Right, you're all so holy, but everyone in Armadale, they're all materialistic in Armadale. They're saying, yes, rich, and um, I identify. And, and, but he's not just rich. He's the rich young ruler. How many of you know it's one thing to be rich when you're old, but it's better to be rich when you're young? When you're old, I mean, you're, all right, you've got a lot of money, but there's so many, so many ways you can pimp your wheelchair. But, but, but when, when you're young, you've got the vitality to enjoy your wealth, right? And he's not just rich and young, but he's a ruler. He's got authority. He's got stature which makes his question to Jesus all the more odd. He says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he says, you know, I love you too. And my favorite song is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, how could you have not found what you're looking for? You're a rich young ruler. You're practically a Kardashian. <laughs> Jesus, taking him at his own word, says, well, well since you, you mentioned good, um, why don't you try being good? He says, I am. I keep all the commandments I always have. So he's rich, young, powerful, and an upstanding member of the chapel community. And he still says, I don't know what it is. Maybe I need to find a different church. I, I've been here for a while, but I don't know. We're just feeling a bit like... And, and, and Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Get rid of everything you own and follow me. Now, now what's Jesus really saying? Think about it. Jesus doesn't say you need to pray more. He doesn't say, well, you need to do this or you do. Jesus says this, your problem is you're bored. 
because you don't do anything until you know exactly how it's going to work out, which means you're very good at natural things, but you're never going to spiritually advance because to advance spiritually, to be sure of God is to be unsure of everything else. So I can help you with this. Just get rid of everything and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad because the one thing he could not give up was his need to know. He was unwilling to be unsure, and so he was unable to advance in the journey of faith. Meanwhile, the uncouth, undisciplined, over-emotional, erratic disciple Peter, I mean, Peter swears in the Bible, and Jesus chooses him because Peter, though uncouth, though of questionable character, had the one quality God is looking for, a willingness to let go and just move forward. A willingness to go and find out where you're going when you get there. And God chose Peter. Peter travelled the world. Peter ends up in Italy. James ends up in Spain. Thomas ends up in India. The disciples travel the world. They don't just travel the world, but they turn the world upside down. Meanwhile, the rich young ruler becomes a footnote in history, never to be heard of again. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant And whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, you know what? And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we oughtn't do due diligence. I'm not saying we shouldn't think about these things. God gave us a brain, right? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. It's one of the most underappreciated aspects of worship. Part of our worship is to use our brain. Part of our worship is when we think. God is a rational being. He created us as rational beings. Faith and rationality are not opposed. Faith just takes you beyond where reason can take you, but use some reason. And and so I'm not saying we don't do due diligence, but I'm just saying you can watch the sky forever and and you're never going to be complete. At some point, you've got to say, you know what? I reckon we should plant. And and so the Scripture is saying, you know, you do due diligence, but you're never going to be 100% sure. At some point, you've got to take a step of faith. Andy Stanley said there'll always be an element of uncertainty. Generally speaking, you're probably never going to be surer than 80% of anything. Waiting for greater certainty might cause you to miss an opportunity. Uncertainty actually increases with increased leadership responsibility. The more responsibility, the more campuses you assume, the more uncertainty you're going to have to manage. The cost of success as a leader is greater uncertainty Not less. How many of you know if Abraham had waited until he knew everything, he would never have left Haran. He would never have had a miracle child. He would never become the father of the faith. You know, I I know we all think that Pastor Darren and and Bron know exactly what they're doing, but then you get to know them. They haven't got a clue what they're doing. They're opening new buildings in other locations and, and, and we think they've got it all sorted. I promise you. They're clueless. That's why I would join this church. I would never be part of a church where they've crossed every T and dotted every I because that's not the way God works. If God said to Abraham, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there, do you really think he's going to give us all the details? I would only ever be part of a church where the pastor says, I know what God has said. I'm not quite sure how we're going to pay for it, but I just know God says we've got to move. Well, that's an adventure. 
religion is boring, dry and dull and leaves you, well, you know, I keep all the commandments, I do all the right things, I might just move churches because I don't know, I just, I just need deeper teaching. No, you're just bored and it's not the church's fault, it's that you're so diarised, regimented and routine. Give up some of your certainty, obey the voice of God, though you don't know exactly how it's all going to work out. Can we finish this message with a pop quiz? Because that strikes me as an obvious way to conclude a sermon. It's the typical way that sermons finish. Um, you know how they use like words to describe groups of animals? Like a, a group of cows is called a, a herd, right? I asked that in Sydney and no one knew. Um, so a, a, a group of dogs is called a, a pack, very good. A group of fish is called a, a school, excellent. A group of dolphins is called a... Oh, you, you are good. All right. Okay, I'm dealing with intelligent people. Let's see how smart you are. A group of wombats is called a... Well, firstly, I mean, I'm fascinated by a group of wombats. Like, you don't really see... Oh, there's a group of wombats hanging down at the corner. Um, but it's called a wisdom. I don't know where they got... Like, I've never looked at a wombat and thought, there is the receptacle of all knowledge. A wisdom of wombats. Do you know what a, a group of crocodiles is called? A congregation. That's Gunnadar. <laughs> Do you know what a group of vultures is called? It's called a committee, a committee of vultures. I was part of that church. We spent some time in Africa. We went on safari and you know, saw the, the big five. You know, a group of lions is called a, a pride. But the one animal I'd never seen until the last time I was in Africa was a rhino. Do you know what a group of rhinos is called? It's called a crash. A crash of rhinos. Now, there's two things you need to know about a rhino. Number one, a rhino can run at 50 kilometres an hour. How many of you know that's quick? I mean, it's quicker than a squirrel. A squirrel, and not just any squirrel, but a Usain Bolt squirrel, top speed, 42 kilometres an hour. A rhino can outrun a squirrel, 50 kilometres an hour. But the second thing you need to know about a rhino is a rhino can't see more than nine metres in front of its own face. Think about the physics of this. You've got this hulking great beast running at 50 k's an hour with no idea what's nine metres in front of it. But it doesn't need to know what's out there. It just needs to know what God put right here crash of rhinos. How many of you know as Christians, we don't need to know what's out there. We just need to know what God's put right here. You will never see a timid, shy, nervous, fretful rhino hiding in the shadows, scared to, to stick its foot out because what if something bad happens? No, no, you get a crash of rhinos. It's about time we had a crash, about time we had a crash of Christians. It's an oxymoron to have nervous, timid, scared, you know, uncertain Christians who, well, yeah, I don't know. No, we need a crash of Christians because we don't know any better than anyone else what's going to happen next week, next year, next month. Who knows in Victoria, you don't need to know what's going to happen hour by hour. But that ought to be a cause for concern for us because we don't know what's out there, but we know what God's put right here. Greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. All things work together for good for those who love God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know what's out there, but I know what God's put here. And so we can crash through whatever difficulties, challenges or obstacles there are. Listen, this is important at a time when there has never been as much certainty on planet Earth as now, certainly not in our lifetimes. No one has a clue what they're doing. But in the midst of that, there's an opportunity for the church to say, we don't know either, 
but we've got this confidence and boldness and we're not sitting on our hands, locking down, waiting for something magical to happen. While the whole world is in lockdown because they don't know, we continue to move forward. That's why I'm so excited you're opening new buildings in the middle of uncertainty. That's called a crash of Christians. Because we're not timid, shy and worried. I don't know any more than you do what's out there. But I do know what God put in here. And it's my certainty of who God is that enables me to live with the uncertainty of what following Him means. And so when your pastor announces a new vision, launches a new initiative, it's right to say, okay, how are we going to do this? How's it going to work? But it's also smart to understand he's not going to know completely. Of course he's not going to know. And if he knows completely, then maybe we're not really taking a step of faith. But what I really need to know is have we heard from God? And if we've heard from God, let's go, though not knowing exactly where we're going to go. But I guess we'll find out when we get there in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to pray. Are you happy? Do you like the preacher? That was a rhetorical question. You weren't really meant to answer because I didn't really want to know the answer. I was assuming it was yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for good people. Lord, I thank you for people here today who've heard your voice. You know, there's people in this service who God's been speaking to you about certain things and and for quite some time, you've been weighing it up and tossing it over and, and trying to work it out. And, and I want to encourage you that there comes a time when you've just got to say, have I heard from God? And take a step of faith because you'll be analysing it for the next 20 years if all you do is analyse. You'll never cross every T and you'll never dot every I. Did you hear from God? Did God speak to you? And if God spoke to you, take a step of faith. You know, there'll be other people here this morning and, and the truth is, you're trying to make sure of natural things, but you've never really made sure of spiritual realities. But I tell you, life becomes an incredible adventure when you're sure of who God is, because then you become sure of who you are. And all of a sudden, life begins to make sense. And yeah, there's a whole lot of questions you still have, but at least the big questions start to be put into place. And before I hand back to Pastor Bron, I want to ask a quick question and then pray for every person here who says, James, I'm not right with God. I, I haven't made my peace with God. And you know you're not right with God because you know it in your own heart. You don't need a preacher to tell you when you're not right with God. You know it yourself. Maybe you just need a preacher to tell you it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done. God loves you. And if you would take a small step toward Him, He would come running toward you. And so if you've never, ever made your peace with God, you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you have, but for whatever reason, you're away from God. I'm going to take just a moment to pray for every single person like that who says, James, would, would you pray for me? I just, want to, I just want to know that I know that I know that I'm right with God. Why would you go home the same way you walked in? What a waste of a Sunday morning that would be. Why wouldn't you go home knowing that you know that you know, I've made my peace with God. It doesn't resolve every question, but the big question, I'm right with God. Now everything flows from that. While every eye is closed and every head bowed, just so I know who I'm including in this prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you, but just there's no greater joy in my life than praying with people who are just saying yes to Jesus. So just real quick, in a second, I'm going to ask if that's you, just to lift your hand up high. I'll see it, acknowledge you, then you can put it straight down. Just helps me know who I'm praying for. People who say, James, I know I'm not right with God, but I, I want to be. In a second, I'll see your hand, acknowledge you, then you can put it down. Then we're going to pray that no matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done, that God's grace, forgiveness and power would come into your life today. 
in Jesus' name. So if that's you, well, every eye is closed right now. Real quick, shake your hand up high so I can see it. Then I'm going to pray over here on my left. God bless you. Right on the far left. Good on you. You can put your hand down. Over in the middle up there. God bless you. Right on the far right. Good on you, man. You can put your hand down. It's fine. I've seen you. Over here. Is that your hand? Love to pray for you. God bless you. Last opportunity real quick before we pray. Is there anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone else. God loves you so much. He really does. Right up the back there. Good on you. You're worth waiting for. Well, all those who lifted your hands, I don't know if this is the first time you're saying yes to Jesus or, or whether you're just recommitting your life to Christ, whatever the case. I want you to pray with me. Let's all pray together. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Just look at me for a second. Let me tell you what that means. If Jesus is God, guess who's not? You. That's our problem, right? We act like the universe revolves around ourselves. To become a Christian is not simply to join a church or to subscribe to a bunch of doctrinal statements. To become a Christian at its purest is simply to say, I'm not God, you are. What, a, what an idiot I've been. Sorry for acting like I'm God. I'm going to actually let you be God. And But I've been being my own God for so long, I'm going to have to get you to help me. But, but I, I want to follow you instead of just demanding you follow me. And in that moment, it's called repentance, turn, turning to everything changes. Let's pray. I want you to repeat after me out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. I know you love me. You proved it when you died on the cross for my mistakes. Forgive me. I pray that you'd come into my heart. Help me to follow you. Amen. Father, for every person, whether watching online in one of our other congregations or here in Tamworth, every person who prayed that prayer, Lord, I pray today, let something fundamental shift in their heart. Make yourself real to them, I ask, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.